Coming fairly close to the end of 2015, believe it or not. Seems like just the other day we started our new theme, Walk Worthy of Your Calling. Uh, we've used one verse all year for our theme verse, our key verse, Ephesians 4.1, where Paul urged Christians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So that's what we've been working all year on. Toby's handled about a third of the series. I've handled about two-thirds of them, and we've looked at all different areas of life, uh, family and personally and on and on, lots of in, in the church, lots of ways or areas where we need to walk worthy. Uh, today we come to actually our last series of this theme, and it's worthy worship. Worthy worship. When I start a new series, I always Google Google images to try to find that phrase in a nice background, and lots of preachers have already preached that topic and made up a nice PowerPoint. Uh, you, believe it or not, you can't find this one. <laughs> they always got the of in it, the worthy of worship. Every sermon that's ever been preached, evidently, uh, is about how God is worthy of our worship. Well, that's true, but that's not what we're preaching about today. Uh, this little series, four sermons, is going to be about our worship being worthy of our calling. Because of who we are, because of what has God, God has done for us, when we come together to worship Him, is it worthy of what we've been called to do, of what He's done for us? Obviously, it's, is it worthy of Him, but uh, we're thinking about it, is it worthy worship? Uh, this morning, the key verse, we're going, or the title we're going to use this morning is, Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe... To the Lord. Uh, obviously, it comes from the verse that was just read, Psalm chapter 29, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist said, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. You may say, Well, that's addressed to O heavenly beings. Well, okay. If angels are supposed to worship him and ascribe to him, then certainly we should. As being a little lower than the angels, we ought to follow this also. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength and the glory do his name and do it in the splendor of holiness. Uh, we, we've done that some this morning. Since I was going to talk about it, I've been paying attention a little bit more, perhaps, to the prayers and things. Brother Albert started us off with the, the invocation, and he said, Lord, we, are, we ascribe to you. He didn't say that word, but he said, you are a God of all strength. You are a God of all might, but you are a God of grace, and you are a God of mercy. He ascribed to the Lord these, ta ta these, ta these uh, characteristics belong to you, strength and might and grace and mercy. When Rob led us through the devotional thoughts for the Lord's Supper and when he prayed, his focus was more on love. 
he ascribed to the Lord the characteristic of love. He said, you are a loving God. We thank you for your loving kindness and what you've done for us. He ascribed to the Lord things that were due his name. So that's what the verse says. Uh, Let's talk about the worship part of it, what we do when we ascribe to the Lord or when we worship here. Now, one thing I want to clear up, every time I preach about worship uh, in the assembly, somebody comes up afterwards and says, well, you know, worship is all of life. Yes, I know that. I know that. In fact, I probably said it in the sermon, if you'd pay a little bit more attention, because I always kind of clear this up. Yes, worship is all of life. The Bible clearly teaches that all of life is worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Some translations say this is your service. Uh, This is a good translation here. This is your spiritual act of worship is to offer your life to God. Be a living sacrifice. I know that. I know the big part of the week is when we worship God the most because there's more time there. Okay? And by our life, we ought to ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. We ought to walk worthy. All that means the same thing. This is your spiritual act of worship. So I understand that. But the Bible also speaks of a specific time, a weekly event of when saints assemble to worship. Okay? Luke was writing in Acts 20, verse 7, telling about one of the missionary trips. And he said, on the first day of the week, that was when we gathered together to break bread. We were traveling. We got here on this day. We stayed till the next weekend because on the first day of the week, we gathered to break bread. And other verses I put down there on your handout also uh, talk about the assembling of the saints. There is a specific time, uh, an event, the worship assembly, that happens once a week. So we can refer to it both ways, but what this series is about is our hour right here together now. We are in that event now. Thirty minutes or so from now, we're going to leave. We're going to leave that event, we're going to go back into the world, and we're going to live a life of living sacrifices, hopefully, and continue our worship. But let's talk about this hour, this this time that we're together each week. Uh, This morning, when you leave, get in your car and start to drive out. What if, at every exit, uh, KSN had sent a bunch of reporters out there? They stopped every car and stuck the microphone in the window. And ask, would you tell us, we're doing a little poll for the 6 o'clock news, would you tell us how was worship? How was worship this morning? What would you say? Interesting question, isn't it? I've been asked that question before. 
I'm going to restaurants after church to get a noon meal, and I still look like I've been to church, I guess. Somehow they know. And the waiter or waitress will sometimes say, well, how was church? And I always say the same thing. I always say, outstanding. And the sermon was especially good. <laughs> I do that whether I or Toby either one are preaching. I, I, I tell them that. But what if somebody really asks you, how was church? How was worship? Well, I bet there'd be a lot of different answers. I bet some folks would say, it is was outstanding. I'm on top of the world. Boy, it was good. It just was what I needed today. I feel really great about it. And some others would probably say, ah, ah. that's kind of a waste of time. Didn't really do much for me today. Some might point out something particularly that they're, they're mad about. Well, I tell you, it was all right except for this. You know, why did that preacher say that? You know, why did he say it that way? Why did he say it so much? You know, I could have said what he said in ten minutes. Why did he take that long? As the worship was all right, except for that song leader. Where did he pick those songs? You know, why did he pick those? Those were, you know, and he went too slow or too fast or he pitched it too high or he pitched it too low or something. But other than that, worship was okay. And some people will get stuck on one little thing like that. As Jesus would say in a parable, there was a certain preacher who liked organization. He liked things done right. He liked order to things. He wanted things done right because, number one, we're spending 700 people hours in here this hour. They deserve first class. There's guests here. We ought to impress them with a first class thing. And a preacher like that might leave worship and say, how in the world could we end up with nobody up here to say a prayer? How could that happen? Do you understand? Now, if Cindy was here, she would have calmed me down a little bit. She'd have patted my hand because she feels my blood pressure rising. She'd say, it's all right. It's okay. In fact, if I hadn't known what this series was about, I'd probably still be worrying about that. The only reason I'm talking about it is because I wrote this note down. That's a good example. People leave worship with all sorts of things in their head. It was the greatest ever. It was the most boring ever. It was useless. It was this one thing they did wrong. How was worship? I've done my own survey. It's kind of a random survey over the years. I don't have any percentages or any details or any of that, but it's still helpful. In my survey, one young man said that he thinks worship that never changes is boring. 
You may have talked to that young man sometime. It's just the same old stuff. It's been the same old stuff since I was a kid. It's so boring. The songs, we, we sing the same songs. The prayers, they can't all sound alike. We do everything in the same order all the time. In fact, it's so boring that I started going to some places that have contemporary worship. You never know what's going on there. It's certainly not boring. It's loud. It's kind of exciting. It's kind of fun. I think I'm going to like it. One older lady that was in my survey said that she thinks worship that changes is uncomfortable. She knows it's technically not wrong to do some other things or do things in a little different order or something. But why? You know, why fix something that isn't broken? It's been working like that for years. I'm used to the flow of things. I like it here. That's why I came here. But you know what? She's absolutely right. Change is uncomfortable. We've all got what we're comfortable with, whether it's in worship or what our routine is in the morning or what we do at work or anything. We're comfortable with a certain way of doing things. And we change something. We do something a little different. And it does make us uncomfortable. I agree with her. A couple of weeks ago, Toby was preaching about the wise man and the foolish man. Remember what he did? He asked Charles to lead the wise man and the foolish man in worship. You can sing that song in that wing down there where the kids are, or you can sing that song in the auditorium if it's VBS week. And then it's okay. But to ask us in here to <laughs> do the motions right in front of everybody, how uncomfortable was that? You know, I knew I was up front where people could see me, so I, you know, I tried to kind of do it on the down low, you know. <laughs> but I did it. I was better than one guy. I watched him for a while. He was up front where they could see him, too. I'm not kidding. He got her down between his knees. He, was... <laughs> he knew he had to do it, but he didn't want anybody to see it. Some of you didn't bother you at all. This older lady I talked to, that would have bothered her. It's uncomfortable. Over the years, I've met some folks who think worship tradition is truth. you got to think about this one a while. That's what they think. They think that tradition is truth. Now, let me make it clear. Worship tradition is a good thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't have worship traditions. I think they're great. But they're not always equivalent to truth. They're just traditions. But some folks I've talked to in my survey know that we're supposed to worship in spirit and in truth. They know that. That's what's important. And we've got that figured out. We know what truth is. 
truth is to do these five things. You, you do these five things and you're, you're worshiping in truth. You do something else, you're not worshiping in truth. And over the years, that grows a little bit, perhaps, if you do these things in the right order. Or if you do these things in this way, then that becomes truth. So what's good? Worship. What's well, a worship where you do these five things? What's bad worship? Well, when you do it like some way that we've never done it before. Now, I could go on, but you get the drift. My survey, we all have unique ways of judging worship. We can go to the same worship service, and one person will leave. That was great. Boy, that was good. That really fulfilled me. That was everything I needed. And another one wanders out muttering under their breath about the apocalypse coming. Because of the way that worship was. And I get that. We have people, Northside members, that go away and visit somewhere, vacation or something, and they come back. And a lot of them tell me, we went to such and such church in such and such town. And you know, when I got out, it just felt like I hadn't worshipped. Just wasn't right the way they did it. Everybody's got a different way of judging words. What if I ask you to name our big mistake when we judge worship? Some might say, well, it's an age thing. You know, old people judge it one way, young people judge it another way. Well, that's Christian maturity. Mature Christians understand this, and immature Christians don't understand this. Seniority in the church. You know, the longer you've been in the church, you know how things ought to be. These baby Christians, they don't understand. It's Bible study. It, if you, the more you know the Bible, the more you know about how worship ought to be. And you can tell the difference between good and bad. Some people would say our biggest mistake is we're so influenced by the world that we don't even think about the Bible anymore. It's the world that gets us. Let me tell you what I think our big mistake is in judging worship. I think our big mistake is thinking that judging worship is anywhere, anyhow, any way our job. Look at all of our arguments. Our disagreements, we even have church splits. We have battles over worship. And what do we hear in those battles? Well, I prefer this. Well, this is what I like. Well, this is truth. This is spirit and truth. Or this is decent and orderly. That's not decent and orderly. I get a lot more out of worship when we do it my way. I love it when we do it this way. Understand that? We interviewed a fellow for a staff position a number of years ago. 
And when he came and visited with the elders and staff and all, he was a great guy. He a great family. We thought, man, this guy's going to be a fit. He's just going to work really well. Uh, after worship service, he told our elders, you know, I like everything about Northside and great people and all that, but your worship is just not what I need from worship. We're used to something different, and it it's more what we need as a family. Well, that's okay. We parted friends, and I'm glad he told us. I'm really glad he told us, and I'm glad he went on down the road. That's the way it should work. But the sad thing is, he and we think that worship is about what we need or what we want. That's where we make the big mistake. That's all I've been talking about so far. I hadn't got to the topic yet. Because I want to see I want you to see how, how bad this is. All that first part made sense because that's where we live. Look at the definition of worship. You say, well, you haven't told us that yet. Well, that's right. We're going to get to it eventually. But here's a very simple one that will get us through today. Worship is honor and adoration directed to God. Now, you can say that in a whole lot of different ways, and we will in the weeks ahead. We'll learn a lot more about it. But we're not ready for it yet. We can see this little simple definition, and the important part about it is that it's directed to God. And we don't get that. We forget it because we are so us-focused, so me-focused, so I-centric, so self-centered, that we just start right there on any topic. It's about us. Well, here's what I like. Here's what I think is best. Here's what's best for me. You see, we want to be pleased. We want to be fulfilled. We want to be satisfied. We want to be entertained. That's the way we are. And that's okay a lot of places. Yeah. Some of you may have been to a concert somewhere once in your life, some musical group, band, something. Or other. I know it's hard for some of these young people to believe, but I've been to some concerts in my life. Okay. I'd name some of them, but half of you wouldn't know who I was talking about. But And most of you won't even remember this, but, um, well, let's talk about this first. Why do we go to concerts? Why do people say, I'm going to go here, her or him or that band or whatever? Why do we decide we want to go to that concert? Because we want to be entertained. The best in that musical genre usually wins some kind of award as the year's entertainer, the entertainer of the year. If they get the biggest crowds and the most people and sell out easy, you know, they're good entertainers. That's what we go for. In college one time, the sly and the family stone. There's some get back for you. Sly and the family stone came out to the roundhouse at Wichita State. Uh, their top song, by the way, ever was I Want to Take You Higher. I give you some clue about their orientation. Anyhow, some of us went to see Sly and the Family Stone. 
They were top of the charts right then. Well, that night, Fly, the lead singer, he couldn't have gotten any higher. Yeah, he, he was right on out there. In fact, he made it through about three songs, kind of stumbled through them, and then he stumbled off stage. He was done. That's as close to a riot as I've ever been in. People were not happy. Why weren't they happy? They didn't get entertained. They came to be entertained, and they didn't get it. It was all about them. Okay? We hadn't been entertained. Dude. I'm not kidding. It was close to a riot. We got out alive somehow. We didn't go to give honor to Sly and his band. We didn't get, go to ascribe them anything. We went for us to be entertained, to hear what we wanted to hear. There's a difference between that and worship. Worship is all about ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due His name. Now, you might notice on your handout that today's sermon has a subtitle. Uh, The subtitle is the important part. (laughs) And it's about Him is the subtitle. You can remember ascribe to the Lord if you want to. But I want you to remember that. It is about Him. What do we need to learn about worship? It is about Him. If we want our worship to be worthy of our calling, first and foremost, it is about Him. He seeks worshipers. He invited us here. He says, listen to this, He says, I inherit Inhabit, I mean, I inhabit worship. Where there is worship, where, where my people come together to ascribe me the glory due to my name, I inhabit that. How can you walk in and think it's about us when the Lord says that? Well, if it's not about us then it probably doesn't matter so much what we like. (laughs) There's a thought for you. Write that one down. If it's not about us, what's it matter what we like? How do we know what he likes? Well, instead of Google, let's ask him. Now, we can do this these days. What's good or bad worship? What's what's worthy worship? There's only two options. Either we decide or he does. And now in the first century, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and I mean the 30s, 40s, and 50s, not the 19 or 18 something, 30s, 40s, and 50s, the brand new church, they could ask the apostles. Should we do this or that? Is this all right? Is that night, right? What's good worship? The apostles would help them. Yeah. Then the apostles wrote things down. It's in here. It's written in there. If we want to ask God what good worship is, that's where we go. Now let's do just a real quick history here. And I know you're getting worried. We're going to go real fast from here on. Back in the 
Dark Ages, and after that in there, the Reformers. We know who they are, Luther, Calvin, those guys. They looked at the church, the Christian church, what it was at that time, which had become the Roman Catholic Church, and they said, we're doing a whole lot of things that the Bible doesn't talk about. We're doing a whole lot of things wrong. Luther came up with a list of over 90 things. He said, we've got to fix these things. And one thing that bothered them was worship, what was being done in worship. So they set out to try to make worship agree with what God wanted. And they agreed on a concept that I printed out for you in your handout. They called it the regulative principle. They said Scripture is sufficient to regulate worship. You know, not everybody believes that. There's a whole lot of churches and people that think that's kind of crazy. You do in worship what makes you feel good. Where we've been already today. But these guys, the reformers back then, and I don't, I'm not saying they got all their theology right or anything else. I'm just saying that's where they went. And here's the way Calvin said it, John Calvin. He said, we may not adopt any device in our worship which seems fit to ourselves, but we look to the injunctions of him who alone is entitled to prescribe. Therefore, if we would have him approve our worship, this rule, which he everywhere enforces with the utmost strictness, must be carefully observed. God disapproves of all modes of worship not expressly sanctioned by his word. That's where they started. They said, if it's not about us, so what we want really doesn't matter. Let's ask the one who it is about. Let's ask God. Well, that's a pretty good plan. I think it works real well today. So let's just play for a second like we lived in the Old Testament days. What would we do? Well, we would go to what Moses said, what Moses wrote down, what God said. And we'd get in those books where it prescribes everything. Now, some of you are squinting. Don't even try. You're not going to figure this slide out. Okay? And that's the point. That's why I put it up there. I found it, and I said, man, that's too complicated for him even to see. I said, that's good. Because that's what the instructions, that's what God said he wanted about Old Testament worship. He had so many rules and lists and things. He had dimensions and materials to make the furniture out of and to make the clothes out of and to build the building out of. And he had lists of what the priest was supposed to dress in and how he was supposed to purify himself and the duties he had. And he talked about this hand and then this hand and then this thumb and that thumb and put blood here and put blood there. You get in Leviticus and Exodus in there, you'll find out. He had recipes for the incense to be burned in the temple. He said, this fire and that water, you use it this way. He had the timing on this day of this month, you do this. Everything you ever wanted to know about good worship, right there. Moses wrote it down. Using the Old Testament, it was easy. Yeah. And God was serious about it. 
He said, this is the way you do it. Nate Abinabihu one morning showed up for work in the temple and said, I think we'll get the fire someplace else today. God said, you think you will? I told you from there. He, he fried them both. Yeah, that's what Calvin was talking about. God is serious about this. When he says he wants this, he removes everything else. It works. Now, if we just lived in Old Testament days, it'd be easy. It'd drive you crazy, but it'd be easy trying to follow all these rules and regulations and all that. Well, let's try the New Testament. We start looking through there. We start in Matthew and go through Revelation. In fact, I think if you got a new pad of legal paper, you laid it on your desk and said, I'm going to read through the New Testament, and everything I find about how to worship and what's good worship and what worship is and all that, I'm going to write it down on the pad here, and then I'll know. I think when you got to the end of Revelation, you wouldn't have the first page filled. How different is that from Leviticus? Anybody ever read all of Leviticus? You're tough. You got to be tough to get through that. And we couldn't fill one piece of paper with what God tells us in detail about worship. You talk about freedom in Christ. There's your picture. We got freedom in Christ. Yes, there's the basics. He lists some things that he accepts and he expects. And I put them on your handout for you and you can read them when you get home. If you were really going through and making notes on your tablet, you'd stop in Acts 2.42 because it says what the early Christians did, the brand new church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they talked about the doctrine and the truth. They had fellowship. They broke bread, the Lord's Supper, and they prayed. Paul telling a young preacher what to do, how to run church, if you want to say. He says, you preach the word. You preach the word, 2 Timothy 4, 2. 1 Timothy 4, 13, he said, you give attention to public reading of the scripture and exhortation and teaching. That's your job. 1 Corinthians, Paul said, when you come together, don't use your gifts to entertain yourself, which is what Corinth was doing. He said, use your gifts to build up the church. When you come together in the assembly, build each other up. Ephesians 5 says, sing. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing. Make music in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3 says the same thing. It says, sing with gratitude in your hearts to God. Hebrews 12:28 says, offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. It ought to be a worship with reverence and awe. I haven't got the first page filled up yet. I'm pretty well done. Some of you that think tradition is truth are saying, whoa, you left some out there. I'm not playing that game. I'm reading the New Testament.
You, you mean it doesn't tell us how to do this or how to do it? No, freedom in Christ. But these are some things that God accepts, God expects, God approves of. We'll talk more about some of those later. Did you learn one thing today? That's all I wanted. One thing. Because it's so important. What did you learn about worship? It is about Him. You can get out of here with that. We've had a good morning. It's about Him. It's directed to Him. We ascribe to the Lord. And Cindy calls me this afternoon. She's going to say, what did you tell them about worship? I'm going to say, it's about Him. And she's going to say, and yeah. That's it, honey. <laughs> That's all we got. It's about Him. And the reason I limited it to just that today is because that's what we got to know before we can go anywhere else. If we're stuck with what we want, we'll never get there. It's about Him. Now, you may be worried about all the things we didn't learn. We had not even defined worship yet. All we've done is said it's to God. Now, we're going to get there in the weeks ahead. We don't know how to worship yet in this series. We just know a very few things that he accepts. He expects these things. We don't know what's good or bad worship yet. We just know it's not our decision. We don't get to decide. Because it's not about us, it's about him. Now, when you read Psalm 29 from now on, ascribe to the Lord. O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. I hope you focus on what it says. I hope you keep coming back to this point. And when you read other worship verses, look for them. Read them differently. Don't say anything in there about what makes you feel good. Let you leave the building with what you need. It's about Him. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Next week, we're going to tackle discern the body. And the subtitle is what's important. It's about them. We're going to learn one more thing about worship, and then we can start talking about worship. Worship is not a solo act during the assembly. Now, the rest of the week, you can worship any way you want within some kind of reason. I'm not worried about that. But in the assembly, it's not just about you. It's about us. Because worship, as we're talking about it in the assembly, is something that we do to Him together. So you've got to consider everybody else. You've got to discern the body. That's the second most important thing we've got to know. That's why we're going to do it next week. After that, we'll move on to a couple of other things. But that's the, uh, the main two points. It's about him. It's about them next week. Lesson's yours. Come back next week and we'll uh, continue to learn about worship, hopefully. If you're here today and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you do that. If you have some other public need, we invite you to come to the front. Let's stand and sing.